Welcome to the European VC. My name is David and Andreas is here with me today to host yet another awesome episode of this podcast. Remember, EUVC is the podcast for insights into European VC, so don't forget to follow us. Yeah, you can follow us on your preferred podcast platform or at theeuropeanvc.com. Also, we love hearing from you, so do continue sending us suggestions for guests and ideas for future episodes. And remember, if you're looking to raise an international round and need an intro to international VCs investing in Europe, do reach out to us. We'll do whatever we can for you. Today, we are diving into the rabbit hole straight away. So hold on to your socks. We recently welcomed Pedro Santos Vieira, but we just didn't have time to launch the episode because he moves way too quick for us and he just has awesome news to share with us so we invited him back do listen to the previous episode with him as well it's super interesting shortly before launching it we got an awesome update from Pedro with huge news i guess Pedro is just moving too quickly, right, Andreas? Yeah, Pedro is a super cool guy. And instead of doing the same old intro where we're going to be saying the same thing that we did last time, we just want to shift things around and pass it right on to Pedro and let Pedro introduce himself and give us the update. Thanks, guys. Very kind words. It's great to be back in such a short notice. People will hear this in the previous session. I'm an entrepreneur turned investor and been working with this investor and hat in, in different ways as an angel, then later as an institutional investor at 500 Startups. And now more recently with Chilling, which is an investment fund anchored in Portugal and which I think we'll talk a little bit more about today. Yeah, absolutely. I think we're going to be talking a lot more about it because this is a full episode dedicated to Shilling and we are happy to be able to do that because there's nothing that we want to push more than the agenda of emerging managers in Europe. So let's just kick it right off and dive into fundraising. We're going to do an episode here where we go through all the basics of a VC fund. So we're going to be looking at first fundraising, then we're going to be talking about the investment thesis and strategy, then deal flow. How do they create deal flow? Why do founders pick you instead of someone else? How do you create value for the startups? And then in the end, we're going to touch on fund management and decision making. But right now, let's deep dive on fundraising. Let us know, Petro, how did you make it to where so many haven't yet, which is... How did you raise the fund? Yeah, so context for everyone. We are kicking off a fund of 30 million to invest in early stage technology. So pre-seed and seed tickets. The initial target was 20 million. We're way past that. Very close to close on the hard cap of 30 million. And the way we went about it was to actually leverage the track record of the team investing with previous vehicles. Shielding as a brand has existed for about eight, nine years now, maybe slightly more, investing as a group of angel investors but under the same brand. The track record for that team is very good. Now I've joined the team six months ago, roughly, to help institutionalize a new fund. Uh, and that's the fund we're talking about mostly today. This fund is going to be branded as the Shielding Founders Fund. And it is a fund from founders to founders in many different ways. We in the investment team are all founders. We've all had our companies with smaller or bigger exits. We bring that perspective into the investment decision process. But we're also building the fund around what we call a pool of LP founders. These are people who have also had their own ventures and success building up their companies and their teams in global settings and are now liquid enough that they decided to invest in us and support our mission with capital, but also with know-how and expertise. So 
they will be available for our portfolio companies. They actually are available even before the companies become portfolio companies, helping us scout deals, helping us with deal flow. And we'll talk about deal flow later, but this pool of highly successful people will be there to help us push out this mission of a fund, which is from founders to founders. And we can talk more about how that model is going to work. I think that's super cool, Petro, and maybe dwell on that a bit because you always have an LP based that consists of different types of LPs. In your case, you have the founder LPs, but I guess you also have institutionals and some of them being maybe pension funds and some of them being funder funds. Could you elaborate on how you have thought about the LP makeup? What are you looking for as value add from the LPs? Yeah, we try to have a balance of institutionals and then other individuals. In our case, maybe slightly more skewed towards individuals, which are these founder LPs that help us with the portfolio. These are people that invest relatively small checks when compared with the institutionals. I can speak right now in detail on the institutionals that we have on board, but I can tell you there's some promising names and maybe when this thing gets published, it will be public, but we have some pretty cool LPs, including other European VCs who are betting on our team as the Southern European partner for them. Again, a lot of smaller checks from these LP founders who will help We, I mean, as you know, from the previous episode that I was in, I come from the world of global acceleration programs from 500. I have a lot of experience designing these programs and running them. We believe that the acceleration model is already past its current format. It needs reinvention. The way I think about our base of LP founders is they will help us with what we call the experience-based acceleration. It's way more effective to have someone who's been through your pain in your segments of your industry, in your region, walk you through what they've learned and help you with like, you know, shortcuts and tricks of the trade to help you fast track your growth. And that's done more effectively in a small setting than a batch of 20, 30 companies. We're betting on that big time. Just out of curiosity, do you know by founders in Denmark? Yes. I don't know the team personally. We're not claiming we're reinventing the wheel, definitely. In- and, uh, that's not what I'm suggesting. I just wanted to say, let me know if you want an intro. I'd be happy to hook you up. They're cool guys. Yeah, happy to. And again, without like crossing conversations here, one of the other things we believe it's unique in our approach is the premium network of co-investors, European and Americans that we're bringing to Southern Europe. Schilling is the brand that has done probably the biggest number of co-investments with tier one VCs in Europe. They're there for us. We've designed the investment thesis for this fund focused on pre-seed and seed exactly not to compete with these European VCs on the series A stage, for example. So the incentives are super aligned. We believe that these partnerships are only going to get stronger over time. This is something that I would love to double click on because you said that you are backed by other VCs in Europe betting on Shilling. That's a very interesting new development that we're seeing in Europe. Would you talk to us how you've thought about that and how you've managed to make it happen? And also because I know you know so much about the European ecosystem, what do you see it doing to the ecosystem at large? Well, I mean, there's a lot of parts to that question, but to try and maybe oversimplify it first and then we can go deep deeper is that any VC, what you want is vetted deals. You have access to deals that you have already when you start the conversation with the founders, a high certainty that it is a good deal. And at the same time, you're trying to stay focused on your stage, investment stage, you're trying to stay focused on your region. It's hard for, I would say, mid-sized VCs in Europe. I mean, mid-sized when you compare them to you know, the Silicon Valley funds that I come from. It's hard to do all of these at the same time. So it's very important to have partners with whom you're aligned in terms of investment thesis and in aligned, more importantly, in terms of incentives. 
And by making this clear split between phases, for example, or stages, we actually remove any conflicts of interest and make it very easy for us to be the go-to brand in Southern Europe, where other European VCs and Silicon Valley VCs see, okay, this is a good source of deal flow. And it's very easy for us to take a conversation and open up a conversation coming from an introduction from them. And if they have some of their capital already invested in us as an LP, that's an even stronger alignment. That's what we're building. It's super interesting. uh, And uh, we're going to keep on discussing this uh, (laughs) off the air because I want to know more, Pedro. But David, do you have more questions on fundraising? I think we should shift it on to investment thesis and strategy. So I think, you know, Pedro, you were quite clear about the secret sauce here from founders to founders, leveraging founders, basically, right? That's really interesting. And also knowing you and knowing some of the partners behind, it's really clear that secret sauce, but I want to give you the spotlight for a minute for listeners that might not know you or might not know Shilling as a brand yet. What is your secret sauce and what is your investment thesis? Yeah, actually, so that comment reminds me, I'll answer the question, but it reminds me one thing that I think is important to know or to mention, and it will be public hopefully by the time this goes live, which is We're also instituting a profit sharing model with our founder base. So if you become a founder under Shilling, you will be sharing some of the proceeds from our carry with you and the other portfolio founders. And that's an extra incentive for the community of founders under Shilling to help each other. So again, even like bringing this from founders to founders to a whole new level. So, but now to your question of the secret sauce, other than the founders to founders, it's a combination. We've touched upon some of them already. So it's the founders to founders. We're all founders. We're bringing yet even more founders as LPs that will help the companies and understand. We're not financiers investing in metrics on a spreadsheet. We know how to build companies and we know how to do it and how to help you do it. Second thing is the international networks that we bring. I've mentioned the networks of co-investors in Europe and the US because I come from Silicon Valley, you know, decade and a half there. Miguel and others who you guys know have been very, very active in the European scene and a series of my partners have been active in BCNP in Europe. And so we believe that those networks are also going to be very interesting. One core part of our value proposition, which is accelerating out of Southern Europe and into the global market. So we're not just investing in small plays in small markets. We are investing in things that we can accelerate out of here. And so it's important to have these international networks to support them. And I mean, and then the profit sharing model I just talked about, I think will create an extra incentive to bring in the founders. I think that these are the key things, if you will, when it comes to attracting the best deals and then helping them scale yeah. out of this market. I don't know if, you, if I missed Let me a part of it. Nah, you didn't. Let me follow up on that and ask. So if I'm a founder listening to this, which you know that it's not necessarily our focus, but there are a bunch of them listening in. Why should I reach out to you? What are you guys looking for? What gets you guys excited? What makes you tick? Yeah, so again, two parts of that question is what gets us excited in terms of, what gets us excited is is founders with big vision and ambition and the skills to back that up. So no BS, we see through the cracks and we've told stories ourselves. So we we can tell storytellers (laughs) from others. So definitely a strong team with capability to solve the problem that they're targeting, 
addressing big markets, as I've said before. And in terms of segments, we are a sector agnostic fund. There's a couple things where we will not invest in. Typically, those are capital intensive plays like life sciences or very expensive to build hardware. We will invest in hardware if the unit economics makes sense and usually in direct to consumer plays, for example. We've actually already announced publicly one of our investments in a hardware company who builds electric skateboards cool. and is trying to revolutionize the future of urban mobility, but also enter extreme sports at the same time. So I think it's going to be cool to see how they evolve. Hunter boards, that's the name. But so we will not invest in anything that takes a long time to get to market, obviously, because our fund has a limited lifetime and we want to see the returns delivered to our LPs as quickly as we can. We are raising a fund amidst the pandemic, which is interesting because we were able to raise it so fast. But we also want to take this as an advantage and an opportunity to invest in sectors that are being accelerated by pandemic. And we are going after sectors like the future of work or digital health and things like that, where in marketplaces and other things that are being accelerated by the pandemic and more things going online and increased digitalization of some industries. Things like I said, on the healthcare side, digital health, future of work, e-commerce, collaboration and developer tools, fintech. We have the know-how and we have the network to do that. Another thing we've started doing is to use the know-how of these LP founders to tell us where the industries are going. And then that helps us also a lot to direct the deployment of capital. And that's actually a question that I would ask, which is you do hear the advice given to emerging managers that you have to focus on a sector. Don't go broad. <laughs> uh, don't say that you can do it all. I'm guessing that this is connected to your secret sauce, but do explain to us why do you go for an industry agnostic route rather than being very narrow? Yeah, definitely. So I would say we focus on stage. And by focusing on stage, we're reducing the uncertainty. Definitely, it would be better to be focused on one stage, one region, and one industry or one segment. But that would leave us with very little deal flow, probably. And so we are mitigating our risk by focusing on the stage. So pre-seed and seed. And we didn't talk about the ticket size yet in detail, but we'll be doing pre-seed deals up until 100,000 euros with a decision process that's very fast. So speed to decision, our value proposition is in 30 days, you'll have money in the bank or a no-go from us. And then we'll do seed tickets up until around 500k, can go slightly higher than that if needed, and then follow-ons up to a million, million and a half. To go back to your point, we focus on the stage and then we try to use these experts in our LP base and our own team to have dedicated, if you will, sub teams. So we know, for example, we have experts who have invested in us as LPs that understand the cloud world very well and cloud services. He has helped us, I won't name it because I don't know if it's public already, but he has helped us screen deals in this space and eventually we invested. We now have a board seat in that company. It's a company named Volk in the multi-cloud services security. So we will continue using the expertise of these founders so we're not spread too thin as it may seem. Um, and I'm, I'm optimistic we're going to be able to pull it off. The results will tell in a few years. I'm sure. I'm, I'm certain of it as well. You guys definitely have a team of superstars and I'm biased because I'm Portuguese, so I love seeing Portuguese superstars, but I do really believe in that. One quick question though is, and kind of merging together the two topics that we talked about, this network of founders, let me call it like that, they seem quite hands-on at a certain stage. And how did you manage to either buy them in into your vision, but also to align the interests, so to speak? Because they're more than LPs, right? 
it's not a, a traditional, I would say, of your relationship. And how do you manage that more kind of operational, even sometimes elaboration? Yeah. So actually, I'll, I'll pick up on the latter part of that, which is the operation side of building all this. So we have built and will continue building a platform around this concept. We have a head of platform working for us full time. who We just hired out of a very good VC in Europe. This will probably also be public by the time this thing goes live. But I think we can claim we're the first Southern European to have a platform and a head of platform helping us connect the dots, both people-wise and tools-wise. So we're supporting the portfolio in that way. In terms of the incentives and how were we able to get these LPs on board, once a founder, always a founder, to be honest, uh, and I speak from heart because I'm one of those cases, right? And so these are people who want to stay close to the market, regardless of how much money they've made. And I can tell you, we have LPs who sold companies for over a billion dollars now, but they want to remain close to other founders. And now they want to be able to pay it forward, to give back to the community. Most or many of them are of Portuguese descent or they're connected to the Portuguese ecosystem. So that helps the conversation. You know, many of them come from the Portuguese tech mafia in San Francisco that I helped grow over the last 10 years. So that was another selling point. And some of them are even internationals who have had experience living in Portugal, working in Portugal, and they understand the value of what's happening in the Portuguese ecosystem in the last five years or so. And they want to be a part of it. And this is an easy way. It's like, here's some dollars. I'm going to help you multiply the dollars by helping the companies you're investing in. You know, why not? It's a no-brainer. Yeah, absolutely. I also think it's a no-brainer for me now to say, let's go to DealFlow because it's very closely connected to these guys. So Pedro, take the floor. Let us know how do you think of DealFlow? How do you make sure that you are the pick of the founders as well? Yeah. So again, splitting in two. One is brand awareness and making sure they know we exist. And the second thing is to convince them to work with us. The latter, I think, is another no-brainer. I think our track record speaks for itself as builders. I'm not even talking about as investors, I'm saying as builders. So it's easy to explain how we can help the companies, us and, again, the LP founders. In terms of building up the deal flow, it's brand awareness. Shilling for the last few months has been fairly quiet because we were fundraising. But before that, it was definitely a top brand in the Southern European ecosystem. And I would say even more or broader than that. And now we're going to continue pushing the boundaries of field flow attraction. So 60% of our capital will be deployed in Portuguese entities, but the remaining is flexible. And between my networks in the US and Silicon Valley and my partners in Europe, we're already looking and entering deals that are coming from outside Portugal, and we will continue doing so. Obviously, I'm not going down the road of saying, you know, yeah, we're going to do events and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. That's what everyone else does, and we'll continue doing it. But our personal networks and these founder LPs are helping us a lot entering in the best deals very early even if it's with a small ticket initially, but with the ability to continue following on. And that's where we think a lot of the returns may come from. And so we'll continue with that strategy of attracting deal flow to us. One thing that we're also going to push hard is to continue being a key contributor to establishing Portugal as the new EU tech hub. And to do that, we will prove to founders outside Portugal and in Portugal, obviously, that we are smart capital, that we invest with founder-friendly terms, and that we have the networks that will help them with their follow-on uh, money. We are very good at designing fundraising rounds because we've done it again. And we believe that it is possible for us to attract international founders to come accelerate out of Portugal because, one, it's a good place to live. Everyone 
knows that there's high quality of life for the founders and their families, and it's a safe place, religious acceptance, et cetera, et cetera. Two, there's talent availability. In some segments, obviously there's gaps as in everywhere, but there's a bunch of different tax and fiscal policies now in place that we think will attract foreign talent to come to Portugal. And three, we have the networks between us as partners in Portugal, in the members of our investment committee, we have the networks that allow these foreign founders to come to Portugal and pilot these things in the top telco, in the top bank, in the top insurance company, in the top health group. And that's a really interesting value proposition because it's like, hey, spend a few months here in Portugal, work with us, work with the prospective clients we're bringing you, validate your product probably at one fifth of the cost. And then we'll help you fundraise your next round and you go address the global markets. You know, again, no brainer, right? <laughs> you're saying something interesting there, Pedro. You are doing international deals, but at the same time, you're also talking about bringing founders to Portugal. We just had before this a chat with a VC that are doing international rounds, but also at the very early stage. So pre-seed seed. And they're saying we're doing it 100% remote. We've done that for 12 years. We'll continue doing it like that. That sounds like not to be your case. I think it's mixed. So we will be doing things that are here and they're not remote, but we are doing deals that are remote. But let me make one thing clear. We're not just going to invest in a good deal because it's a good deal and it's an international deal with tier one partners in Silicon Valley. And I know them and they give me a small allocation and we're going to write a ticket for that. We're not going to do that. We will do it if we have a connection to the company and the founding team and we see a clear way to support their growth. That's the only way for us to actually ride a, a ticket into these international deals. Yeah, and you and you want to leave the deals. You don't want to be uh, uh, in a. We're flexible. We're we're you know we're a bunch of founders. We're malleable. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're we're not black and white on the on the leaving the deals. We definitely like to be the first institutional money in, and we'll continue working for that. But we're not going to say no to a deal if we're not leading. I mean, we're about to announce a very interesting deal on a pre-seed company who got into Techstars and we invested alongside with them. And it's not because the company was entering Techstars that we didn't invest. So we will do this on a deal-by-deal basis. But again, always striving to be first institutional money in if we can. Then one question, it is deal for related in the sense that it is, of course, about deals. <laughs> but I, I should have asked this earlier. How do you think about doing pre-seed deals? Because it is a stage that many have shied away from before because it's too early, too many of them fail, they need too much help, et cetera, et cetera. How do you look at this? Why do you believe you can do pre-seed? Yeah, well, again, it's our background as doers. We started stuff from scratch, so it's easier, <laughs> easier for someone who's done it to say, we see a potential path for success for this thing, versus no path at all. And so we can make that assessment in a somewhat more comfortable way than other financier VCs may. On the other hand, I mean, we're also mitigating our risk as a fund by making sure that the percentage of capital going into these pre-seed deals is limited. So only 15% of the fund will be deployed as pre-seed tickets because we also have to look after the interest of our LPs. And so we will manage risk that way. That's one thing. The other thing we can do is we understand from our networks that I've been talking so frequently, we understand where the industries are going. And it's very easy for us to shoot an email or make a phone call and say, hey, we're looking into this pre-seed deal. It's so early. We have no clue if the industry is going to take it or move this way. And we get industry insights from that, right? When you have LPs who sold their companies to Cisco and you can call them and say, hey, you know, <laughs> what do you think of this deal? Is the industry going to take this now in a couple of years, in 10 years? That 
helps us mitigate the risk in these BC deals. Yeah, so Peter, we had a value creation strategy as the next topic, and I feel like we've been tiptoeing around it so much that I'll be repeating what you said. So let's play with it a bit. I'll try and put it out there and you'll correct me if I got it right. And like that, we're sure the listeners get it. So I'm feeling there's like two major pillars to your value creation strategy and why me as a founder, hypothetically, would want really to work with you guys, which is first, you guys are founders, you guys are operators. So I can count on you guys for support, not only on, you know, the strategy and development of my venture, but also you have that operational background of taking a thing from zero to a huge tech success story, not only you yourself, but the partners, also your LPs have that background. So one of the big core building blocks of that valuation strategy is the support on strategy operations, or even, you know, piloting for a fraction of the price because you can leverage those arbitrage opportunities. So that's one. And then second, basically the follow on. So it's not only smart money, it's not only the ability to get capital and support to make that capital efficient, but also you guys have awesome brands, awesome track records, and you have the institutional connections through the fund action to get those follow-on rounds. So did I pitch you well, <laughs> or is there something missing? <laughs> yeah, 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 yes, exactly. Very, very good summary. Let me emphasize the second part, which is in emerging markets, it's easier to raise capital from local investors, but there's a big risk that you get stuck with them and then you can't make the leap to international VC. So we mitigate that risk, break that barrier by bringing in already a family of co-investors who worked over the last five, 10 years. So. Yeah, we were actually looking into data on that, right, Andreas, today about the round-to-round -round percent percentage of success and that after your first institutional money, that's a really tough place to play. Yeah. So I can give you a number on that. Shilling so far has had a 660x multiplier on capital on capital raised, right? So Shilling has invested about three and a half million up until now with yeah. all its funds initially. And these companies have raised over 210, 220 million in follow-on rounds. So that's very telling for what I was just saying of us helping them with their next rounds. Yeah. So for founders, that means you're not only getting the money, you're basically getting a whole platform and that's why you have the platform i guess that will support you through that growth process that's super interesting yeah, and I, I can tell you we've had multiple conversations already within the context of the new shilling founders funds that we understood that it wasn't a fit for us in the rounds that the founders were designing but we still gave them feedback and insights on how to design that round to the best of their advantage and we'll continue playing that role if it's not a fit for us we're not going to push our way in and we'll help them design the next round we believe good will come back to us doing that i'm sure Sure will. Absolutely. Pedro, I'd like to ask, we love bashing things when there's something to bash. And you said something that sounded like we could teach you how to say something dangerous. <laughs> you said that the old traditional accelerator model is dead. We believe in experience-based acceleration. I'd love for you to expound on that. And also, if you really can put accelerator models up as a pinata, please do. <laughs> <laughs> well... Now, now you put me in the hot seat. No, so just to be clear, I did not use the word dead. No, you did. no, no, you said that it's, it's aging or uh, should be on pension now or something. I, 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 I saw, yeah, I said I did indicate that it is at a point where it's changing, it's under revision, it's under evolution, however you want to call it. There's still good acceleration programs out there. They're becoming more focused on verticals, for example, and there's a lot of value in that. They're becoming more focused on regions, and there's a lot of value for that. And so my point was they're evolving. And, and the second point I made at that stage was that one-to-one -one knowledge 
transmission or knowledge sharing is always more effective than one to many. Yeah. And that was the point I was trying to make with our model of the LP founders. Yeah, and I also think Pedro. Best of luck for all my friends <laughs> running Accelerator. <laughs> Um, and they know what I'm talking about. I mean, this is not news to anyone. Nah, but I think that this goes for accelerators just as angels. It, we have some very good ones out there, and then it has also become a very sexy area. And for that reason, we also have many who probably shouldn't be doing it, but who are uh, nonetheless. Yes, great point. Exactly. So that's the risk when something seems apparently easy to do is that everyone wants to do it. And then on average may lower the quality of the product in the market. And definitely there's there's a lot of accelerators out there that shouldn't exist. And so what we need to continue doing is to educate our founders on which ones are worth it and which ones are not. I mean, as you know, I just came from the 500 startups world. So, and I cannot bash the accelerator programs in general. I think bashing stereotypes is always like a shirt in the foot, but there's definitely things to improve. And I think all the key brands, you know, YC, Techstars, 500, etc. know about this and they've been evolving their models. The tricky parts with accelerators, and that's what I think Schilling was able to solve, is the operational cost of an accelerator, is the operational cost of an acceleration program. Basically, we're not just flips the model upside down, we actually found ways for the people who bring the knowledge also bring the capital. Because typically an accelerator pays the mentors for them to train the companies, right? And so we're bringing these people, they train the companies and they still give us money. So. <laughs> I don't know. I, I really hope this works. Uh -huh. uh, so do we. So do we. Absolutely. Now let's shift the focus, Pedro, to fund management and decision making. This, of course, includes investment process. So would you take it away? Let us know here on the end of our episode. How do you manage your fund? How do you make sure that you make sound investment decisions? Take us through it. Definitely. So our structure as a team, we're organized with the five partners investment team. And between the five of us, we'll quickly decide on the pre-seed tickets up to 100,000 euros. And the assessment here, again, leverages the different profiles in the team. You have some of us with good, strong experience on the consumer space, others on enterprise, SaaS, marketplace. We mix it up. And again, we can always go back to our networks and ask for advice. These are, again, quick decisions up to 30 days, money in the bank or no go. Then we have an investment committee, which is actually constituted of another five partners who were the five founding partners of Shilling and were deploying capital as angels together under the Shilling brand, who come from, again, very diverse sectors from retail, insurance, M&A, real estate, telcos, etc. And they help us look into the bigger tickets. Obviously, our investment team of five We'll prepare the typical investment memos and we'll have enough validation or not for the deals. But these extra five people in our investment committee will help us with that assessment. And we're also building an advisory committee, which won't be a formal contributor to the investment decision, but can shed some light in some of the strategy, strategy of the funds on a quarterly basis, roughly. One thing that's important to say, again, I've, I've been peppering the conversation with some of the numbers instead of like dumping them all in my introduction. I hope they don't get lost. Between the 10 partners that I just mentioned, we're investing 2 million out of our pockets. That constitutes almost twice the industry average for the 20 million fund if we raised a 20 million fund. So, Skinning the game from these people in the investment committee and in the investment team that completely align incentives. And then we have, I also did mention, we have the head of platform, I already mentioned, and we have you know analysts that are helping us 
screening the deals and assessing them before we get to the decision, the final investment decision. You have been grabbing breadcrumbs along the way as to the numbers of the fund, but it would be fun to have the rundown. If you would then go through yep. what are the ticket sizes, what are your reserve allocations and so on and so forth, divided between sectors as well, if you have that in your mind. Happily so. So recapping, Shilling Founders Fund is going to be a 30 million fund with a hard cap of 30 million. We will invest 15% of that capital in pre-seed tickets up to 100,000 euros. About a third of the fund, maybe slightly more, for seed deals that can go up to 500,000 euros. And then follow-on of another third, maybe up to 45% of the fund for follow-ons. We will be investing in multiple sectors. We don't have a breakdown for those formally. We will be focused on things and sectors that are profiting from the pandemic, definitely. We believe that the next two years are going to be very good for us if we double down, triple down on these industries that are benefiting for accelerator digitalization. We have a diverse pool of LPs. We have close to 7% to 10% of the capital is from the GPs. Everything else is typical for LPs. If the LPs are listening to the podcast, everything is the typical management fees and carry structure around 2% and 20% with a step up to 30% if the fund does really well. Historical data on shielding, we have partially unrealized results of about 5x multiplier on capital invested. Let's hope we can do even better than that on the next one. We'll see. I would be happy with that on this much bigger fund. What else am I missing on the numbers? Let me round that off with something you might be too humble to say. It's a team of freaking rock stars. And so if you're a founder out there looking for the best founders to support you, I would really recommend recommend trying it out. Worst case scenario in 30 days, you have a no. So not that bad, right guys? And what happens, Pedro, if we have people in Germany listening in and says, ah, this guy sounds cool. I want to get money from them. We're working on a new website, which again, may be actually live by the time this goes live. And there's an open door for founders to actually not just submit the pitches to us, that's easy, but they can actually, they have an open door to schedule office hours with myself and my investment team. So if they're in doubts about chilling and if they think that we can help them somehow, yeah. they can reach out very easily. But again, just reminding that we need to understand that we're going to be able to help them, even if they're a German company or elsewhere in Europe, we need to understand that we can help them with our networks. So there has to be a connection to us or Portugal somehow. Pedro, thank you very much. We really enjoyed this chat. Thank you for this, let me call it a masterclass <laughs> on VC almost. So I'm sure our listeners will really benefit from it. It was, I had a blast. I know Andreas did as well. And we'll be here to echo all news about Schilling and yourself. So do count on us to help you spread the word. And uh, looking forward to talking with you again soon. Yes, terrific. Thank you for the kind words again. You guys are rock stars, not me. Happy to come back, hopefully with the next big IPO or Schilling or some unicorn or something like that so let's see the results will have to speak for themselves for you guys to invite me back right <laughs> we'll hold you on to that one because we'll reach out the second we know of rumors of something interesting on chile <laughs> happy, happy to come back i always have fun with your sessions in this podcast and i highly recommend it to other folks out there in the industry ah uh, thanks pedro thank you awesome This was our interview with Pedro Vieira, partner at Schilling. If you would like to see more from Pedro or from Schilling, I suggest you follow them on LinkedIn and check their website as well. We thank you for listening to the European VC, the go-to place for insight into European VC. Visit us at theeuropeanvc.com, then you'll hear much more from us. And if you would like to suggest topics or guests for future episodes, please do reach out to us. 
And of course, as always, if you're about to race an international round, instead of just going to Petro, do reach out to us as well. We'll also give you other connections. We're always there for you. Take care.